Yes, welcome back to another episode of Leading Matters, and I know I get in the habit of saying how excited I am, but I am excited about this uh, particular conversation. In fact, I am going to use my excitement for the conversation to warn you in advance that um, I'm going at a pretty quick clip here, trying to get a lot of words and thoughts out, so and this uh, Philadelphia accent that you pick up on every now and again comes through loud and clear when I'm kind of passionate about what I'm talking about, so forgive me for that. Uh, but regardless of the audio inadequacies of my speech, uh, let's talk about the episode. And the episode is a discussion with Cassandra Bailey, who runs Slice Communication, which is a PR firm, small PR firm in the Philadelphia region, but actually having very tremendous growth over the last couple of years. And I've known Cass for probably, gee, I don't know, three years or so. Not, not you know, real, real close, but we've had professional exchanges here and there. But I've always been impressed with her work. And we met for breakfast about two, three weeks ago, and I asked her at that point to, to do the podcast. I'm really glad I did because what, what Cass does is she takes a very disciplined approach to where she's leading her company. And that's what we're all about here, right? We're all about understanding the matters that impact leadership and the fact that leadership obviously has a tremendous impact on where we're headed. And what I love about Cass's approach is that she's always looking towards the future and she's prioritizing the things that many will kind of set aside in the interest of driving and developing business, which is really a short-sighted approach. So that fear that I, I speak about in one of my car casts about kind of being frozen in place because we're unwilling to make investments towards the future. I mean, here's a perfect example of a company, Slice Communications, again, PR firm in Philadelphia, that is succeeding exactly because they're prioritizing the long term and taking a very disciplined approach around their processes and also their their talent development and their talent uh, search for bringing new people into the firm. So um, I think you're going to love the conversation. She's incredibly humble as far as where she, she gets her ideas and, and gives a lot of credit to her team and others. So I think she's a great business leader. I'm excited to have had the conversation with her, and I'm even more excited to share it with you. So with no further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Cass Bailey of Slice Communications. All right, today joining me is Cassandra Bailey. Cassandra Cass, as uh, she goes by, is uh, runs Slice Communications in Philadelphia, and Slice is a public relations firm that has had some tremendous growth over the past couple of years that we're going to dive into how Cass has achieved that and some of the things that she uses to manage her plan and, and her folks. So so before we get started, Cass, thanks so much for, for taking time out to, to join me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It's always good to chat with you. <laughs> well, thank you. I feel the same. So listen, um, you know, we met a couple weeks ago, and I thought, well, first of all, I love the history of where you are and, and how you've gotten there. So I think it's important for the context of some of the success you've had. So I'll tell you what, why don't we start there? And again, you don't have to get into too much detail, but just share the, the, the brief history, how, you know, you were running Slice, and then you took on some partners, and then you kind of ended up, now you're the sole proprietor again. So let's talk about that, because I think especially small business owners, are faced with that sort of partnership decision all the time. And, you know, you've managed it quite well and been really successful after the fact on it as far as taking ownership of the company and, and, and the growth that you've had. So for the benefit of the folks that might be listening, you know, just a little bit of, of history about Slice and, and where you've gotten to as of this point. 
Well, I appreciate that you mentioned that, um, you know, we've had a bit of success after the fact because it wasn't always the easiest thing. And I think that successes and failures are all part of a company's growth. Um, we had, we learned some things the hard way. I learned some things the hard way. So, um, the business was actually founded in 2008, February 2008. And when you remember 2008, nothing was easy at that time and certainly not starting a company. Uh, the company was founded by my partner and myself and it kind of did you know, a little bit here and there between 2008 and 2010. 2010, as the economy started to rebound and as we started to differentiate and really start to focus on growth, um, we were able to have the company grow very quickly between 2010 and the end of 2012. At the end of 2012, we decided to sell a majority of the business to another company, 51%, and we retained the 49%. Um, that company, we thought, you know, we had some really good possible synergies with. Um, we had done some consulting work with them in the past. We had looked at where they wanted to grow and how we needed to grow, and we thought that it was going to be a really good fit. Um, a year later, for a number of reasons, culture being one of them, but also some business reasons, the merger didn't really work out. The deal was not um, great. It was not uh, something that we all wanted to keep pursuing moving forward. So then in uh, 2014, the very beginning of 2014, I bought the partners out and now own 100% of the business. Uh, we moved the business. We rebuilt it over the course of last year. And now the company is really growing quite aggressively again this year. Well, let's let's dive into it. So you mentioned culture there for a second, and, and you know, before we started recording here, I, I you know, I, I told you I, I really enjoyed the way you approached that. And you know, if you do quite a bit of reading as far as workplace improvement and employee engagement, because I think it has such a tremendous impact on where we head and lead as as business leaders. So how I guess is it something? Did did your culture kind of uh, show itself to you? Was it something that you intently set out to develop, or is it? Uh, kind of a, an element of, of your business that, that you saw as a strength that you wanted to capitalize upon? I mean, wh which was it? I think it was really that last thing. Like there was something about how we as a company had co-created a culture, me and the rest of the team, that I thought, hey, this, this is really fantastic, but this is something that we need to protect because it's so important. I mean, I say this all the time, and I think a lot of people would agree that people like to work with people they like. And when you're in a consulting business like we are, we think that it's our responsibility to actually make time that clients spend with us the best time of their day, right? Because when you think about the way that people have to work, there's a lot of stress in the work that we do. There's... um a lot of pressure from a lot of places, and our clients are feeling that pressure all of the time. Part of our responsibility to them and our promise to them is that we are, you know, the people that they can brainstorm with. They, we are the people that they can be creative with. We are the people that will help them set and achieve goals. So their time spent with us needs to be the best part of their day. It needs to be fun. It needs to be inspiring. But it also needs to be really goal-oriented. So when we are thinking about and we're looking at growing this business, we realized that we need to have people on this team who can not only pitch a story, can not only send out a really fantastic tweet or craft a really great integrated communications plan, but are people that are willing and able and dedicated to making the Slice experience be one that is attractive to our clients. 
So when you think about that, right, like creating that culture and finding people that fit that culture, what that means is that we need to start to hire for culture first, right? Like we're not just hiring because somebody has the greatest resume or because somebody knows how to um, get a story in the New York Times. We have lots of people who can get stories in, in the New York Times here, and that's great. But really what makes clients want to work with us is the fact that we're dedicated to making their jobs easier, to making their jobs less stressful, and to and to being the people that they turn to and that they trust when they really need to get something done. So that, that's so, how we changed our hiring process. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, your, your hiring process, because, okay, so I'm glad we're, the conversation is developing this way, right? Because you said that your culture kind of presented itself as a strength, that you even differentiate yourself with your clients by making their experience with Slice be the best part of their day, and I love that. Now, you know, as, especially as you're adding talent onto the team, you made it, you, and again, when we, we spoke earlier, you made a conscious decision to say, okay, we're going to examine our, our talent development and our hiring process, and then we're going to make sure that it protects, as you said, who we are as a company. So talk about that a little bit. It was, again, was this a conscious evaluation of the process and a re-engineering of it, for lack of a better word, or was it, again, it kind of just happened? Oh, we consciously re-engineered it. I mean, I'll be very upfront about that. So when we, um, in, in 2014, we're looking at rebuilding the business, we actually examined all of our processes across the entire company, how we service a client, how we develop a posting plan, how we, uh, I mean, all of these things. We have a series of probably 85 different processes that now we've documented and codified. And one of the most important ones was how we hire. Now, Joel, I have to admit to you, I am terrible at hiring. Like, I'm just really, really bad at it. And unfortunately, that's been a big detriment, a big risk for the company because I'm not very good at it. So when we decided to recreate our hiring process, one of the things we did was we took me out of it. Um, I've actually talked to quite a few entrepreneurs about this, and they say that they have similar struggles, which is that when you get up every day, you believe in your company, you believe um, that you're going to do the best work for your clients, you be- you truly believe this, and like you know that you need to be the person who has that vision and that, that leads that belief and holds that belief. So sometimes when you're interviewing somebody, you'll project that onto them, right? As a CEO, I had a habit of projecting onto people the fact that they were going to fit our culture, they were going to be able to do the work, I could train them to do the work, but when you're growing quickly, you need people who are aligned and that bring something to the game that just aren't there to be completely trained and molded. So one of the things we did was we took me out of the hiring process. So I am not the first person um, that that you talk to when you interview here. The second part is that we went and we talked to a lot of our friends and honestly begged, borrowed, and stealed for some of their best techniques for hiring. Um, we had a good friend who gave us this part of the process where when you interview with us in your first interview, which is your cultural interview, you're given um, a brain teaser, a puzzle. And the puzzle is not meant – it's a verbal puzzle. The puzzle is not meant to trick you. It's not even meant – you know, for a candidate to have to get it right, to have to solve it right there and then. But what we want to see, because our job is so stressful, because we are managing lots of different clients, and because those clients have lots of different kinds of challenges, we are looking for people who are excited by challenge and are excited by problem solving. So we look at their body language. We look at how they approach it. We look at whether or not they shut down or give up right away. So that made a big difference. We also borrowed from another friend of ours that when you send a resume into us, you get an automatic reply. Um, email. And that email asks you to leave a voicemail. 
it has a specific challenge and you have to leave a voicemail that addresses that challenge. That's important for us because we spend a lot of our time on the phone, we spend a lot of time talking to clients, and we need people who are good verbal communicators on our team. It also shows us whether or not people are willing to follow through once they send in their resume or, again, whether or not they give up easily. So these are some of the techniques and the tools that we've put in place in our interviewing process that, again, we begged, borrowed, and stealed from good friends of ours. We found a very, very generous entrepreneurial community here in Philadelphia so that we could improve our hiring process. So, you know, again, this is another reason why, you know, every time we talk, Cass, that I'm impressed with, with your approach, right? Because some of the things that you've done as a small business owner, again, you know, let's put aside for a second the fact that you you retain sole proprietorship of, of the, I mean, that's no small feat to kind of navigate that partnership, uh, you know, uh, landscape, if you will, or, or, or dynamic. And you've done that, right? But you're also now taking time. Like, I don't see a lot of small businesses or entrepreneurs take the time to document processes the way you have or to come up with something like, uh, and again, regardless of you borrowed the ideas, you, you've, you've placed forward the effort to say, hey, this is important to us. It's a priority. It's who we are. It's part of our mission, getting back to the making clients uh, the best part of their day be with us you know when they spend their time with us so you've prioritized making that a reality so these two factors the documentation of the process and actually kind of dissecting it to see where you can improve it and then implementing things that help you identify cultural fits like this I love the voicemail thing that that's just so cool it's such a fantastic element right so I guess the there's a question here believe me and the question is this like how do you how do you manage the the competing demands of hey we're in business we have to you know we revenue is important got to keep the lights on we got to go win new business between hey this is we have to do it the right way also I mean that's no small feat for any size business but in particularly a small business that that's constantly a challenge and sometimes the priorities of what we should do the right way gets kind of set aside so how did you do that I mean how do you how do you do that on a daily basis so I have to give somebody else credit for this. Again, um, there's somebody I know who's who's been fantastic and has given me the concept of disproportionate impact. So when you look at your day, um, and we track time. We track time down to a quarter of an hour. We always have. We're crazy about it. Um, I love to track data, and it makes me really happy. But when you look at your day and you look at how you're spending your time, there's probably about 10% of your day where you're spending your time on something that has a disproportionate impact. If you spend an hour on this thing, you're going to get a huge return on it. And understanding how you're spending your time and what part of it actually gives you that disproportionate impact, I found has made um, you know life not necessarily easier, but has been able has been able to give me the focus. Like that part of it has given me the focus to to try to do the things that are really going to matter. We're building a company here for scaling. We're not building a lifestyle company. Um, people here are not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. We're interested in making a big impact. So when we think about the business and the work that needs to be done to enable the business to scale, um, that gives us a focus that enables us to recognize, hey, if we document this process once and if we actually then create a quiz so that the people who learn this process have it reinforced, then we're going to make make an impact over the long term for however many people we hire. Now, we also need to create that process, though, in a way that's flexible and create 
a sub-process or an overlaying process where we review each process every time somebody new comes on just to make sure it's all up to date. If we can do that, right, that saves us a tremendous amount of time when somebody does something that's not quite right or when they've not been trained properly. So, so looking at all of these things, and yes, we do have to close business, but if we have a new business process, we're able to close it more efficiently than we would be otherwise. We're able to figure out which clients are the right ones for us more efficiently than spending a whole lot of time trying to Pursue, pursue those that don't. And so this concept of, of disproportionate impact and, and tracking your time and being able to realize like where, you're, where you have it and where you don't, I think has been a blessing for me um, to have that insight from somebody else and to have that learning from somebody else as, as we think about scaling this business. Does that, does that, it sounds to me as though that might demand that, that there's a lot of um, empowering of, I mean, you may know, you don't have a huge team, I guess, well, 10 to 12 or so employees, you tell me the number, but I would imagine that there's got to be a certain degree of, hey, listen, this, this doesn't work unless we're all responsible for the decision making and there's not a lot of hierarchical uh, obstacles. Is that, is that accurate? That's absolutely accurate. And, and again, that goes back to like hiring great people. If we're able to hire great people, um, and if that hiring process works, and if we're able to train those people, that is 50% of the game. The other 50% of the game, though, is what some people call situational leadership. So I'm not the best person to set every process. Like, I'm not necessarily the person who should be developing the process for putting together a media list. And by the way, we do have that process, and people are trained on it. But our account managers, our PR account managers, are really the right people to do it. So we ask them to do that. We trust them to do it. And we also, though, set expectations and hold people accountable. So that's a big, huge part of it. That's probably that other 50%, which is we have to hire the right people and we have to train them, right? We need to hold each other accountable. And if we're able to do that, then we create opportunities for people to be able to step up and do what they need to do for the whole company to grow. Now, if people aren't being accountable, it's not me that's going to come down on them, right? It's it's their colleagues, not um, because we all have to be in this together in order to be successful. And you only find that in certain groups of people, right? Like in a lot of companies where you have political this or, or siloed that, it doesn't work. Um, and that, again, I guess goes back to the culture. So maybe it's a full circle thing. One of our company values that, that we added last year is transparency. We absolutely believe in transparency. Um, we have a lot of tools and technology that we use to, to enable it. So we use Basecamp. We try to do all of our communication through there. So at any point, anybody can go in and see what's going on. We use Google Docs. Um, we use Spring Ahead for time tracking. So we're, we were able to find some technology that helps us be more efficient in terms of transparency and accountability as well. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking as you're talking about um – you know, this, well, I guess I'll frame it this way, right? One of the things that I see quite a bit of is that there's so much press given to, oh, the changing nature of the workforce and the difference with millennials. And I think that's a kind of a tired old story, right? But what I do think is accurate is the fact that the diff that the way that media is so fragmented and the way content's consumed and specialized and accessible 24-7 and obviously social in nature, I, I actually think, forget about the, the demographics of who, where, what, and when consumes media and content this way. 
way. But the fact that the speed is so there and the accessibility is so ubiquitous, it kind of demands that an organization operate this way because speed and responsiveness is even more important than it ever has been before. I mean, that's kind of my opinion. I'm just kind of curious if you think that some of this has uh, kind of helped, you know, push you in this direction. Yeah, it absolutely has. I mean, we talk about this um, internally. We have our values, but we also have toxic behaviors that we find unacceptable as a group. And one of the toxic behaviors is um, being resistant to change. Our industry and all industries are changing so quickly, but especially, you know, communications. It changes every single day, and we're at we're at kind of the mercy of Facebook and Twitter and the New York Times sometimes with the changes that they make. So one of the things that we did to, to help us deal with that is our office is set up totally open. Um, all of the tables are on wheels. All of the chairs are on wheels. All the filing cabinets are on wheels. And every once in a while, we change our physical situation. We change where the desks are, how they're positioned, and who is sitting near whom or what. What that does is it reinforces in us by creating a physical space that is subject to change, that our mental, our intellectual, and our professional space needs to be subject to change at all times. And that's something that I think is really hard for some people. It's hard for me sometimes. Like, it's hard for all of us. But by incorporating our physical space and having it be a representation of the culture, um, we're able to externalize this, this philosophy of change, and then embrace it in multiple media. Now, I have to say, like, I'm not the one who moves the desks around. Um, we have other people here that, that do that. They get together and, and they figure out how do we need to change and adapt as we grow. And so that kind of, like, physical externalization of, of this change issue has really helped us in terms of, of everything else that we do. Um, the, the thing about change is that it can be hard, right? Like, and sometimes people really struggle with it. But there's nothing wrong with having adverse experiences. I mean, I was I was fortunate to go listen to uh, Malcolm Gladwell speak yesterday, and one of the things he was talking about is that there's a certain advantage from being disadvantaged. You learn how to deal with things. You put yourself in spots or you're put in spots where you need to overcome them. And so by creating um, the this change that in some cases could be considered an adverse experience, we actually think that we're helping each other grow as well. So again, that's tough. And I have to, I have to confess, uh, Joel, I was born in 1981, which by some accounts makes me a millennial. So yeah, there's that. So I might be cheating a little bit in terms of the workforce culture and creating one that, that'll work for the next generation. Well, you see that, but that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because I mean, like your approach and your attitude towards business is really no different than any successful leader, right? So I don't. Anyway, that's that's that, that's a conversation for another time, I think. Um, <laughs> but let me ask you this: so the you're in a service-related business, obviously, and there's such a there's a certain level of frustration because I think business leaders and marketing leaders, it's kind of ironic, right? They need even more outside help than ever before because of all these changes we just discussed, right? But they're seeking it less and less, so their expectations are really high because they have the need, but they they haven't. But their their adoption to how the services are acquired, how they're identified, how they're paid for hasn't changed. It's still kind of stuck in the late last decade or or, or even the 90s, right? So, I mean, how do you, last question for you here, because I want to be mindful of your time. You know, how do you approach it from that perspective? In other words, you're 
the way you approach your business and the way you've developed your business has intrinsic value in, in your, your clients because they benefit from these changes. But given that there's this kind of frustration level with marketing-related services, whether it's PR, creative, or design, I mean, how do you span that gap to help them understand is, look, this is not PR from even five years ago. I mean, this is a whole different game, and, and if you're not invested in it, and if you're not committed to making it work, then you're not really, you know, you're not spending your money wisely. Uh, how, do you, how do you help them accept that landscape and then maximize the value they get from working with Slice? There are really two parts um, to this answer. The first one is that we recently have really focused on helping our clients understand their business results and their business goals in the context of their marketing goals. So whenever we start, we don't have a conversation about like how many impressions do we want. We ask clients, is your goal lead gen or is it recruiting? Is it staying top of mind with customers or is it thought leadership? And so we try to ask them about these business goals first and set the rest of our communications discussion in the context of how it's going to help them grow their business. Because growing their business, right, that's something they still really, really want and something they absolutely understand. So we try to set communications in the context of business and how it helps them achieve their business goals and their growth goals. The second part is that we do spend a lot of time um, educating our clients and for that reason, also educating ourselves. So we, I'll say, um, for instance, we were on the phone just a little bit ago with one of our clients giving a report, and the client asked, you know, what does impressions mean in the report, or what does reach mean in the report, mm-hmm. or is this cost per click to the website from Facebook a good cost per click, sure. right? So we spend a lot of time talking with our clients and educating them on those things because they don't live in them every day. They don't work in them every day, and so we really see that as, as part of our responsibility. So if we can get them educated and, and you know, like people are afraid of things that they don't understand. Sure. So if we can first and foremost help them better understand, then we're able to help them um, push and move their, their marketing forward. That's good. No, I think it's a good approach. And and really, and look, I'm, I'm just uh, going to wrap it up, and I'm just, I really enjoy talking to you, Cass. It's so much fun. You have such a fresh, great and fresh perspective on it. And um, let's get, again, just so you know who we've been talking to, we've been talking to uh, Cassandra Bailey from Slice Communications here in the Philadelphia region, a very up-and-coming and successful public relations firm that offers a lot of value to, to their clients and the folks that they work with. So, Cass, uh, just one last time, thanks so much for taking time out of, out of your day and giving us a little insight into how you've been leading the success at Slice. Thank you so much, Joel. I really, really had a lot of fun. Um.